everybody, Barbie again. The author is here reading the final chapter of My Mother Sells. Um, the final chapter is called My Religious Mother. And this is probably the most difficult and hardest one to write and to hear. Um, talking about someone's religious faith is never easy. Um, anyway, that's what the author is telling me, and uh, I believe. The author should just start reading. <clears throat> My religious mother. I told them the problem with the priest is that they can't get married. The bishops and high priests listened to the argument of the 95-year-old church patron as she provided fuel to help explain away the church cover-up of the priests with a little boy hang-up. That pedophilia thing that my mother explained all these liars were espousing. Not true. Couldn't be. No priest she knew could do that. And she was old and she'd known a lot of priests. Relax, I didn't save any letter correspondences between her and some of her rather famous pedophiles. If anything happened to little boys, it was because of not being able to be married to a woman, and this alone, she said, was the real problem. The short gist of her beliefs about priests were beyond reproach. Girls are not coming forward, just lying little boys who are jealous of these wonderful men. She did not see that what happened to these little boys is that they were maimed and destroyed as young children and their minds would be wounded forever. Normal men want sex with women, my mother said, and that was it. Since the time of the Greeks and the Romans, young men have always been the favored of old rich men. All early cultures practiced this until our culture practiced, uh, became uh, mortified and started using secrecy and shame. So this favoritism for young boys uh, became buried in churches and religion. That it is violent and oppressive is denied as real. The horror inflicted is not real for these lesser beings, these boys. The power in sex did not translate well to marriage either. Sex used as weapons on both sides have brought many a diamond and a horse. Ah, uh, whatever the scandals that were coming out, it was so sad. Power slipped in where human feelings are supposed to be put under law by other men. Church rules are an example as monasteries and seminaries searching their ranks for gay men rather than mentally ill pedophiles became a way to rid the church of these awful scandals. As mom's sleepy, ignorant community became busted priest after priest in the 1990s, including the mayor, the town faced a scandal of appropriate shame and disgust. The culture and society of secrecy, secrecy and brutality of rape and subjugation 
neared the holy cloaks of priest after priest, and my mother stood on the other side of the community, and with her priest pedophile friends she desired and stood with. Liars, all liars, she said to all the ten, as all ten Catholic churches were shut down for lack of attendance. As the money dried up for settling cases out of court, the public hearings on the matter, she stood publicly and said before churches and the bishop, We want our churches reopened, and you'll face the wrath of God if you don't give us our church back. The bishop came down from the podium, bent down on one knee, and told her that he would do it. He would take her advice, reopen the church, and no one seemed to notice that he added a little caveat. They would all have to hold all the masses in the old Latin, pre-Vatican II style. In all effect, 50 years of progress toward a liberal view for women in the church and dealing with corruption and rape among the priests would just be postponed. Changing the focus of priest behavior to church operations seemed a slap in the face as in being sent back in time to when no one understood the words the priest spoke in church and we blindly followed orders. She had won her fight. The church was reopened, the bells were ringing wildly, and no one seemed to complain about the Latin, the language of the old. She gave little to the church because she had little. She gained support for things like the public toilet. She sponsored foreign missions and children's funds of South America and beyond. She brought crosses from St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City for every confirmation class for 20 years. She passed out medals by the hundreds of thousands and spent years mailing $1 bills to thousands of religious nonprofits. She made rosary beads with groups of women for 50 years. She attended church meetings, sang in choir, attended the sick, went on novenas, and occasionally defended the front door of the church like a warrior. She didn't read the Bible ever. She had no favorite Bible passage she lived by. Rather, she talked about the saints, the church servants, through, though we never heard her talk about the most famous Catholic of all, Marxist Dorothy Day, the woman who ran the soup kitchens for immigrants in New York, a devout Catholic. My mom did not believe she would die. She believed that her faith would save her and should be lifted up in heaven like Mary, the mother of Jesus. She would be assumed into heaven. In glory, she would be be lifted out of this life. She ruled. She was paid for her own funeral and designed it years in advance. She bought burial plots and mausoleums for her children. She lived a religious life except for fighting with everyone about their own faith. She was correct, right, and all church laws that governed had to be obeyed. The need to be right, combined with the will to forcibly be correct, brought out the boss person evident in her Irish personality. She lived in a barrage of excitement between her church activities and her labor union work. The babysitters came and went. She decided she needed a permanent babysitter, so she went to fetch her first daughter, then 14 years old, to come and help her raise the two other children. This was going to be a great problem since this girl 
had been awarded to her grandparents when mom told the court she thought she was marrying a rapist who might harm her little girl. She believed the court would be on her side as she was the mother and the father for these children since World War II and had been working all these years supporting everyone. But the judge said no. He took the child and gave the child custody to the grandparents. The girl had a wonderful life and was raised Protestant. This was a major problem for life between my mother and sister, but my mother was convinced that she could convert her heathen daughter and that, of course, she would be saving her from the life of evil. She attended her 14-year-old daughter's 8th grade graduation, whispering only that she could hear, Sneak upstairs and pack a small suitcase. I'm taking you back with me on the next bus. What eighth-grade loving girl wouldn't jump at the trip excitement with her absent, long-gone mom to finally see what it was that she chose over her and why she never came to get her seemed like the perfect graduation present. She was excited, a new town, new friends, and she would meet her little brother and sister for the first time. She saw the possibility, since she was smart, pretty, with curly black hair and a curvy figure, Her hair went against her when she met her Greek cousins, who were all very light and who had light hair. And all those Greeks fleeing Nazi bastard occupations were Greek Orthodox, too, which was not Protestant either. Mom had her religious work cut out for her. When she arrived, one of the first tasks tasks was to get my sister baptized. In the dark of night, the pre priests baptized my sister brother, my younger brother, my older Protestant sister, and finally me, shining the flashlight on me. Her too, he said. All this big secret, tell no one that the priest made her grovel and beg like a sinning wretch, which I always was ashamed of and felt her performance of groveling and bowing contributed to the large hump that she got in her back around the age of 80, bent over in half when she died. She said she had no pain at all. Our first public shaming and groveling happened soon when she dragged us to a church we didn't even attend to make us take a public pledge to never drink alcohol. We had to stand up before all the people of the church and swear never to drink again or ever. My sister, with her bobby socks and pointed kerchief, covering masses of black wavy hair, my brother and me entered a side door for the shaming experience. I never said the words, neither did my sister, with her mother poking at us. We were surrounded by gawking people, and I peed my pants a little from laughing. My sister was not humiliated, and I showed no shame in front of the good people. Mom was furious. My sister had already gained self-respect, so it was necessary for mom to break her in front of her new town members. My sister didn't relate to any of this. Four months after her kidnapping, my sister was misdiagnosed with flu when she had spinal meningitis, which crippled her spinal cord like polio. She became crippled from the waist down and relayed to me she had to crawl around the floor 
and swing on the furniture to be able to walk again. Mom said no one could touch her or help her. Mom did not touch her. My sister flung around the room for a whole year, missing school, missing interactions with friends, and taking care of her little brother and sister. She told me that I, she used me as a crutch. My mom said we couldn't help her or she'd never learn how to do it herself. I wish I had memory of this. I don't remember many of the things people tell me that I did. I don't remember my brother. My sister recovered walking, and after receiving one full year of neglect, she recovered with a crippled hand and being blind and a wayward eye that looked across the room at the ghosts. Mother dragged us to church faithfully, dressed us to the nines in white fox fur collars and 100% white wool coats. It was early spring Sunday. It was early spring Easter Sunday when everything that could go wrong did. Everything was going to end up badly because we were always late and running. It turned out to be a very hot sunny day and we were all sweating that Easter wearing wool. Gasping in the humid heat, we were just about to hit the sidewalk to enter the church when a car drove by engaging a large black puddle and sprayed the beautiful snow white piece peaceful coat with a large black spots all over it. The crowd had gathered at the back door of the church because mom was cursing the son of a bitch, raising her fists and hopping mad. Everybody was laughing and roaring and we went in around the corner to avoid going in with her. She pushed her way through the crowd and took her religious pious seat. We had to find her in the crowd. She began to sing and pray the service in a cold, humiliated way and felt defeated by her ruined coat. When we got to her, she feigned a smile and started to feel better, poor thing. She ignored us and said her prayers. We were invisible during these praying experiences. She loved this holy experience with her male God, and I believe her worship was authentic. Only Mary, mother of Jesus, was a worthy woman. She preferred men. All men are right. She says the army thinks so too. Her groveling period had ended, and she moved into a flaunting period of having black, greasy stained hands from her job to being the best-dressed diva in church, jewels and all with all the hats and bags. She lounged in the mirror for hours admiring herself. She favored some men, some priests, and she eliminated the ones she didn't like. She drove the Legion of Mary attendees crazy and got the male choir disbanded over disputes. She emptied out all the all the old hanging on biddies and took over while membership plummeted. She painted a thick yellow oil paint line on the $20,000 Persian 100-year-old church rug so the old people wouldn't trip on it. Of course, she would not admit this, even to the priest when they asked her. She handed in envelopes of 100 pennies for years in protest of something or other. She supported wars, wanting to kill everyone in the Middle East who won't accept God. No infidel, she turned full fascist into a dictator, eliminating everyone in the sight, a zealot, a fully loaded AK-47. 
So religion became the battleground over the war killing of men, women, and children. The issues came up again and again. After healing enough to start school again, her daughter had grown into a fully alive teenager in high school, walking staggeringly, limping, and she had only passed out occasionally now and then. This is what she was left with after the meningitis, but people said she was drunk. The war over alcohol pledged received an injection of fervor as mom called the police to drive by to see if Dinah was outside, drunk or smoking. Embarrassment ensued as my brother and I watched everyone through a curved picture frame photo of our loving, long-faced, miserable Irish grandmother. She would be rolling in her grave at these goings-on. Mom told us she was fell down screaming the N-word at the loaded docks when she landed. Grandmother didn't know the Irish were the new slave class. Too much bad had gone wrong in America with the slaves stolen from Africa. A new source of workers was needed. A perfect substitution would be the Irish. Hungry and cold, the horror. Now the same ships would bring the Irish to work as toll as toll and toil as everyone wanted the sweat to be controlled and owned by the fat cats and money class. The Irish Irish were racist as hell, pit against everyone at the bottom of the ladder to claw up for jobs in an all classes society period. When my sister took up with a nice Puerto Rican boy, Mom used her cunning to nip that in the bud so that neither of them would ever attempt to cross the race line again. She thought, Mom, at first, so she thought. Mom at first obtained all the information from her daughter, daughter giddy with love and happiness at being treated so ladylike. She pretended to care and soon invited the young man to dinner. We didn't even have a table but he came to the flat. There, holding our plates in our hands, eating, she informed him that he could not see her daughter in a very calm voice, chewing her food. What? She repeated, and slowly the excitement and agitation began. It was in the Bible that they not mix. She told them he was inferior, and that even though he was Spanish Catholic, it wasn't the same thing as American Catholic. All the cajoling and shock of these youngsters could not bend their will with the reasoning and pleading. They both ran away fuming and crying from the house because even using Jesus' arguments of love for the other couldn't melt my mom's heart. My sister melted to Jesus' talks of inclusion, helping the other, and eventually became an avid war protester. She never got over this wounding over race, and though mom called the cops on them, she became she became she came home more determined to beat mom than ever. She was furiously rage rageful over losing her boyfriend for reasons of her mother's. This is our mother's this is our mother, she used to say. My sister had returned to her grandparents for her senior year in high school. In three years mom had destroyed her life. She afforded an apartment in her senior year. She found her drunken father and took him to live with her from the streets downtown. 
Next, she met the man of her dreams and married him while he went off to Korea, and she had a baby in the racist South military bases. In her story, she becomes more fearful of white men realizing that he would murder blacks even outside of war. Terrified, she set her sights on returning to a religious mother with one white child and one black. I've written my sister's life in another book. Religion dominated the clash again when my sister returned home broken, divorced with two boys. The all-white town got to experience firsthand racism of all sorts. Both boys were attacked and beaten up many times, and they came to hate each other for existing. It was a horrible atmosphere of one father figure after another who came to visit my sister and went. Violence. <clears throat> Everything got squeezed out of the littlest until he found himself out to the college school where the professor's kids got educated. He himself found a way to live in between races. He took the United Airlines to inform this man that he was hired because he was black, to which he disagreed, saying that he was white. The recruiter convinced him to take the job and check the boxes. White black boys didn't fare well. Like his brother, alcohol masked all the pain and rage they felt inside. Religion dominated as mom bribed her grandsons to church with clothes and money. Mom stole her grandchildren away from her daughter, or shall I say she bought them in high school. She spent thousands of dollars on credit to dress them for church. They obliged. Peace. My sister, who was disabled from meningitis, had maintained that she would never become Catholic and stayed away from mom for years. She had to take Dexedrine, a drug that will kill you by age 30. She managed to live to 70 by taking half of the dose. She said, she said mom killed her. As a disabled person, she was shunned in the 1950s. My mom used to say, well, she can at least learn to type. She was relentless. Not with this half-working claw, my sister would yell out. Mom called my sister three times a day. If you'd only come to church, everyone will love you and drive out your cancer. Everyone always asks about you. Your old friends want to see you. Please come over, help me eat this food. You are a Satan worshiper. I disown you. I curse you to hell. I bought you a mausoleum. You can't be cremated. I won't allow it. Sin, sin, sin. Years went on. I moved eight hours away and visited twice a year in summer and at Christmas for 17 years. I didn't have to live or exist near her, but we talked frequently. My brother moved two hours away, visited monthly, not enough to cert her, never enough, never enough. My children knew my mother as generous and fun. We were glad to get out of town where my mother had this notorious reputation that followed all of us. She told everyone in town things about us that were not true. She made up things and painted each of us as pretty bad characters. Over 20 years, each adult got the series of phone calls that ended in the will of the twice-divorced mom 
to have all the family's kids' sacramental lives scripted to Catholic faith. She got madder and madder that she could not convince that she could convince many Asian immigrants to church that why not her own flesh and blood. Then we got the phone calls that no one wants to answer and the cancer call. My sister will be dead in 15 months with 41 treatments of cancer under her belt. She looked radiant when I saw her spirit fly out at the pyramid. Death changes everything. My mother came to the funeral director to stop the cremation. My brother witnessed that she could not interfere could not interfere with his daughter's wishes. The funeral director told her as she huffed and puffed and argued the sin of it all, but the funeral director did not budge. Crushed, she pouted and sulked like a child furious. She couldn't stop it. After my sister died, death died death. No one could do anything for mom anymore. Shh. Oh. She felt everyone She was crushed and she pouted and salt like a child, furious she couldn't stop the cremation. No one could do anything for mom anymore after my sister died. She was mad as hell as a wet hen. She fired helpers and nurses that she needed. She harangued everyone and got thrown out of a few nursing homes. She was on the loose. She felt everyone alive, especially me, should take care of her. She needed constant 24-hour care, nursing care. I was not able to lift her. Threatening and guilting me, she said, As bad as I am, I'm your mother and brought you into this world. That brought me back, that brought me back during the pandemic, hugging my dog when I had to be saved by an angel. I had gotten lost in the vacant corridors in the airport looking for the dog bathroom. Everyone directed me, and I walked and walked. I was howling, crying when the elevator opened. I told a man I couldn't find the dog bathroom, and he said, Lady, they don't have any. Just put the dog down and let it shit all over the place. We roared the absurdity, and he got me to the connecting plane, and when I arrived through the freezing rain, she said, Turn right around and get on the next plane. I'm not dying anytime soon. And it's the truth. I've come to stay, Mom. I'll be here to the end. I've got a one-way ticket, I said. She was furious, threw me out, telling me not to touch anything. If I wanted any for money, I was going to have to work for it and do exactly as she said in her effing house. When I think, when I left thinking she might have a heart attack, um, she called where I was staying and told my friend that I had stole the coffee cup and I could just turn right around and bring it back right back up to the house. <clears throat> it was a lot to ask a friend this level of shame to let me stay pent up in a nightmare for the duration. It was COVID-19 season, cold, 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 that made me madder than ever. I got all puckered up to constipation, and my friend and I did very well, as peas in a pod. Winter dragged on. The dog only barked when the UPS truck came, 
By April 15th, mom was all better again and not dying anymore in rehab and coming home to her life of living from chair to chair. On that day, as everything had been set to leave, mom did not know I was leaving, she called the ambulance herself and was in care at the hospital. I called my friend, who was on her long drive to come get me, to tell her to turn around, to go back home. Mom had gone downhill. I got the story later from the staff that Mom had given $2,600 to the ambulance driver, saying, Don't let my daughter get hold of this. He later called my brother. She had also run an emergency donation of $500 up to the church. All set, she had taken herself in during the COVID pandemic and did not have COVID. During the Spanish flu, she had H1N1, or terrific immunity to COVID. My grandmother was pregnant during the Spanish flu. What strong genes I have, 80% Irish. I'm proud of that, and don't ever tell her who the 20% is. You might get beheaded. I went on to the ward in the lockdown nursing home to see her, having to get all PPD'd up and covered up not to bring in or out any germs. There was an outbreak at the facility, and they let me in. When I came in, the staff were apologizing for this mess of $2,600, but they did not steal it. A young girl in tears, I know, I know, I know. And when she said, wake up, wake up, Kathleen, it's your daughter, she's come to see you. You, she said in a slow, eerie way as she unfurled like a bat with long stringing arms and spider-like veins running all over her wasted body. Her head was small as a mouth with bulging teeth and eyes, and the horror was frightening. Luckily, I had seen death before, but not at 104. Not this wasted. Not my mom. I suppose it's normal to think the woman had left the body behind, but not until she opened her mouth and said, This is why the families must stay together. I want a big funeral at St. Blah Blah. Yes, ma'am, the biggest one. So-and-so must get married in the church. So-and-so must be baptized. So-and-so must do this. So-and-so must do that. Down the long list. <sighs> yes. Yeah. She wheezed. She huffed out the whole list of everyone's sins. Yes, yes, I know, ma'am. I'll tell them again what you said on your deathbed. And as I stood there wondering what to do, because I certainly was protecting myself from more abuse and judgment, I definitely had my shield on. I just said, you know, Mom, what you have to do, I'll tell everybody what you said. That's for sure. You'll get the biggest funeral. But what you have to do is you have to go with Jesus and Mary and your mother and father when they come and get you. You have to go with them and you have to die. You have to run into their arms and you can't fight death anymore. At this time, my courage had melted and my heart as I could feel my truth ring out as one. I felt strong, I felt present. 
I told her to participate in her death and stop fighting with her righteous sword. Swords to plowshares, Mom. Swords to plowshares. Give yourself peace. Peace. Let yourself go and surrender yourself into peace. Looking at me little, she managed a yeah and seemed to have dropped down into a seat of a very old racing car. The smoke became thick. There she was with her hands around the steering wheel, her leather cap on, and her goggles flapping. She held on for dear life on the steering wheel, breathing like a racehorse coming down the last mile. She became fiercely focused straight ahead, and I could feel like she had a mission like she never had quite before. She had her foot fast on that gas pedal, driving that car down the road. She never took her eyes off some invisible point. She was working very hard at going somewhere, and I didn't want to disturb her, so I didn't make a sound. I knew she didn't register anymore, and I could see she was gone, and I slowly backed out. I kept asking what I should do, and I stood there until my body and mind acted. I was present to her death agreement. I felt my own self agree with her as I was finally getting to see her own something. This is what I needed to release myself. I no longer felt a need to view her actually take her last breath. I knew it would be brutal and her struggle was personal, but I could leave her peacefully and I did. Finally, she was all alone with her beliefs and her actions and I never saw her again. The funeral was everything she dreamed. We did the most we could to in COVID lockdown. The church was filled to capacity, six feet apart. The bishop came, the mayor struggled to help carry the casket with all her children and those from other lands. I did not sense her presence anywhere. She was gone. She wasn't at her house either, not at her funeral and not in that cherry $10,000 box. Gone, gone, gone. The songs were sung in solemn order I placed her smiling face with her two bishop friends in a large photo on the altar there, finally with her priest friends. My brother delivered a eulogy along with her favorite priest. My brother slipped on the altar, and little did we know he was having his own heart attack symptoms right then and there before our eyes. Shortness of breath pain in the back. Later, his wife drove him to emergency. We had five stents put in his heart. The only good thing was that everyone in our family, all 15 of us, had been vaccinated and my brother was at greatest risk. His heart attack coincided and launched my grief, which was seeming to many like a blessing of that hot Irish poker that was so familiar. May her stains of forgiveness salt her tears on stones for millennium. May flowers bloom in her heart as she breaks open to compassion for herself and then finally compassion for all others. Mom played all her cards. She won. She finally felt smug and right. But in the end, she had to be alone. She couldn't drag anyone with her into the grave. In fact, everyone was very happy to be included in her burial and funeral. People that had always been pit against each other, now undoing and denying all the nonsense. 
How wonderful that people loved her. When the actual call came telling me that she had stopped breathing, I knew she had gone long ago and that her stiff Irish piss and vinegar was pumping for hours before letting go. It was done. I had finally learned and gained some respect for her, who finally gave in. She said yes only once in her life, and that was to death, who turned out to be stronger than her Irish self. 104 years of grandmothers living through their daughters and how the influences of time and religious ideas shaped the kinds of experiences we had. She was awful because her mother was awful. And so on leaving the hatred to people next to them, I'm so glad she has peace now. I'm so glad the cycle is broken. Whatever that is, I feel that for her. And say again, good night, sweet Irish girl. The end.